today is a day for the macabre yeah seriously I feel like our podcast has been not very macabre honestly um yeah I, w- I would agree uh you and I, I both like it has the vibe. dark yeah it can be dark um but today we're talking about something that's like so dark it is. And you know what? We had, because it's been a little while since we recorded, maybe like it was December last yeah, time we did something. Yeah. And we've had a hard time like landing on a topic. Yeah. I mean, we talked about, I don't know, we talked about doing this. We talked about doing that. I feel like that Britney Spears documentary came out that was kind of like, really close to something we would have talked about at some point sort of yeah but I also feel like we already did the Anna Nicole thing and yeah um and by thing I mean the honoring of her life and like the reevaluation of it so I feel like we're we've we've our cred of like reevaluating women who are maligned by the media is well established yeah (laughs) And it's like, we can talk about other things now. We'll like, yeah, we've already talked about it. We don't need to talk about it forever. We have, we're multifaceted people. That's right. We, the world knows where we stand. Yeah. We're pro, you know, all of them. We're for all of it. We're for all of it. We wish everyone would just stop being such assholes. Just being an asshole. Okay. Well, anyway, our topic today is like, not exactly about people who well, I don't know. Are they assholes? Are they not? What are we talking about today? That's part of the conversation, I think. Um, we uh, we both watched the documentary on Netflix, the documentary series. Yeah. About um, Cecil Hotel. About Teresa, or oh my God, I'm- Elisa Lamb. Elisa Lamb. I'm so sorry. It, it's uh, the disappearance, the vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. It's crime scene, colon, the vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, the death of Elisa Lam. So there's a lot with the title. I, is this going to be like a series that they do all the time? Cause it sounds, if it's called crime scene something, but this is the first one, right? Well, this is also the same team that did the Ted Bundy tapes. Was that called crime scene or it's just the same people? I think I think that was just called the Ted Bundy tapes. Um, Joe Berlinger, Berlinger. Uh, and that was called Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes. And this is the same guy who did um, Paradise Lost. Uh, and, really? Yeah. So... Huh. He's obviously moved into a more sensational type of true crime exploration here. Did you watch the Ted Bundy tapes? I kind of, I don't remember. I think I did. I mean, I I definitely was experiencing Bundy fatigue during that time because that came the, out. And the Zac Efron movie. The, I definitely watched the Zac Efron movie. I remember you liked which it. Which I loved. Everyone else hated it. I thought it was great. I actually didn't see it. I also had a bit of Bundy fatigue during that time as well. I thought Zac Efron was like kind of brilliant casting for Ted Bundy, but I think it offended a lot of people and I can understand why, but I thought it was smart. Yeah, it is smart. And what else? Oh yeah. And then, but I, I sort of was like on and off. I really know the Ted Bundy thing really well. I read the book, the Anne Rule book 
about him. A stranger beside me. Stranger beside me, which I bought because kind of blind at a um, used bookstore and I saw it and I knew Ted Bundy, but I, I kind of knew he had a girlfriend. And I think just the title, I sort of assumed, oh my God, this is like the memoir of his ex-girlfriend, which would have been awesome, but it's not, but still great. She was like his coworker. So he was beside her, but at a desk, not like in bed. <laughs> yeah. He was like her assistant, right? And he was like, they were, just, I think more peers, they, they were, were both like volunteers at a suicide helpline and, or maybe they were working there. I don't know, but they were, it was a crisis center and people would call and say like, I'm going to kill myself. I need help. And Ted Bundy would pick up the phone and talk them off the ledge that has happened oh my god oh my god I didn't know, I know that actually he's like only I can be in charge of who lives and who dies yeah it was like part of his god complex like he's like I'm gonna save your life but if you die it'll be because I kill you I, cho- I chose it you know yeah. what is um fucked up as well I vividly remember being a child at dinner and my dad telling me about Anne Rule and her and that she was like a crime writer and that she worked with this man who turned out to be a serial killer and that really captivated my imagination as a kid well yeah I mean it's so unlikely that you're go for it's such an unlikely career to have a, a crime true crime writer I mean who even has that job I mean, now I guess like everybody kind of, but like (laughs) in the eighties, it was really uncommon. And then to end up sort of accidentally having this kind of intimate relationship with the most famous serial killer ever in American history, because it was like, they were working like one-on-one late at night in this weird office. Oh my God. Oh, so creepy. Did you watch the Richard Ramirez? Um, I did. I, I wrote about it a little bit on my, for my, uh, this is (laughs) a real me deep cut on my Patreon newsletter for my other podcast. Um, Plug it. Talk about it. Well, I just, I, I, I mean, it was just sort of a recommendation, but I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I um, didn't end up I think I, cause it's, I think that one was four episodes too. And I think I watched the first three. This is becoming a trend for me, similar with the Yorkshire Ripper one, which I think is really great actually. Um, okay. Yeah, cause that's by a woman and it is really like, it brings in the context of the Thatcherism era and like what that meant for feminism and like the burgeoning feminist movement in England at the time and how this killer and like what the cops assumed about his victims, how that affected like how women went to bars and like how it changed like all this interpersonal stuff with men where guys like would be like, let me walk you home. And a woman would say no and be like, oh, what do you think? I'm the ripper. It's like, it created this like really sick, toxic thing. But the Richard Ramirez stuff, I thought there were too many crime scene photos in that one for me. Oh, really? I I didn't like it. I, I don't know. I barely remember any crime scene photos. I'm, there's something deeply wrong with me. I, <laughs> um, I mean, Richard Ramirez is another one I'm sort of familiar with. Um, I, I thought wanted more about his like childhood and background and it was mostly about the cops who like figured it out. And yeah, that, that was kind of what I wrote about in my little blurb, which was really short, but I was just, I feel like in true crime, there's a, some people have a um a desire to like focus less on the the killer and more on the victims which is definitely something i saw people just like random twitter users kind of complaining about during the bundy renaissance of like two years ago or whenever um the bundy well when uh, yeah there were like four movies about him everyone was obsessed yeah, um, they're like, oh, he's so hot. I know. They're like obsessed. I mean, well, I mean, I think people want to fuck these guys. Like, I don't know why. Like, Ramirez had it even worse. Like, these women were like showing up in droves. And like, I think you might have missed it in the last one. They would like flash him as they drove by in the cop car. Like, women 
loved Richard Ramirez. Oh, I did miss that one. All right. I will, all right. You've just told me I will go back and watch the last episode of Ramirez. Well, <laughs> I, my theory is that this documentary kind of attempted to make it less about Richard Ramirez and more about the other side of the story. But mm -hmm. because unfortunately, and I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I feel like the victim of a violent crime is unfortunately sort of like a passive is like the victim is like by definition like the the person something happens to and so it's hard to frame a story around somebody who isn't active in the story so if you don't focus on the killer who's taking action then you're gonna sort of have to focus on the cops right and then it kind of veers into like copaganda which is definitely a problem in true crime so it's just I don't know I feel like true crime just deserves to be like on the back dusty shelf in a used used bookstore exactly you should be embarrassed that you're consuming it yeah it's like porn it's like really bad like yes read it whatever but it's bad for your heart it's bad for your brain yeah, We're like don't make a scene about it. Just, just like keep this in the shadows because it's really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was watching the uh, Cecil um, series, and Griffin, my husband, uh, was walking out of like from room to room, right as the TV was like, and the murders and the suicides and the, and it was like the most like stereotypical, like what you would see on a TV show if someone was watching a true crime show. Yeah, there was a lot of, well, cause um, <laughs> the Cecil Hotel has this horrible story where all these wretched things have happened and been happening for like a hundred years. It, yeah, it's um, okay. So let I am curious. Do you remember the Elisa Lamb case happening when it was happening? Yeah, I remember when the video came out Me too. on the internet. That was like, which was pretty. Which was, I think, when it was happening. I think it was before she was found. Right, the video was on the internet. Yeah, because she was just a missing person at that point. And then they released this really creepy footage of her in the in the elevator. Um, so obviously we're going to have like spoilers in this. And oh, if yeah. you care like, about that, you should watch the episode first or whatever. Yeah. Go watch the show and then come back. But <laughs> Or don't and just listen to us talk about it. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to. But uh, for just like a quick, Elisa Lam was a um, medical student from Vancouver who uh, took a vacation alone to Los Angeles and ended up in, well, she was like going up and down the, the West Coast, um, but in LA, she stayed at a budget hotel thinking it was going to be maybe nicer than it was. And um, it was this famous hotel with this like storied history that she wasn't aware of and then she disappeared and a couple days after her disappearance the cops released this video of her being extremely erratic in an elevator yeah um I feel like the the hotel just that you might stay at that hotel which I think they were I mean in the documentary they say that they're trying to rebrand it they ch changed it to stay on Maine yeah and which would have been what she had checked into yeah she thought she was checking into what looked kind of like a youth hostel um but like a clean nice one that was well maintained like it had new bedding and new signs and stuff um but she had no idea that there were like, well, first of all, she didn't know that this was basically like a block away from Skid Row, which is, they talk about in the documentary really well, I think, and better than I'm probably about to, but like, I think one of the largest concentrations of like unhoused people in the entire world. And because of, the poverty and addiction um, in that area. It's also a very high crime area, obviously. Um, 
I don't know. Is that a fair way to? Yeah, I think they say uh, it's over 50 square blocks of people. Um, and they do, I thought that they did do a really good job talking about it as well. It felt like a real introduction to that. And I actually wanted like a full series on, on all of that as well, because they had a Skid Row historian on who I thought was awesome. And I found his like senior thesis uh, that has a really long like personal story that like connects him to Skid Row in this way that is like really beautiful and very sad. Maybe we could link it in the comments or in Do our it. show description. Yeah, that's okay. a good idea. Yeah, I thought that um, this true crime is changing and I felt like the Ramirez piece was kind of an example of that in One Direction. And I thought that this was a really successful um example of like where true crime is going because they did take so much time to speak with that historian and to speak with a person who was like a tenant in this hotel and who stayed there um it seemed like he was staying there in like maybe the 80s and um and was yeah. familiar with the area and to talk to the people who really know the place in in addition to the hotel manager and you know whoever web sleuths and stuff like that to to talk to just like give a better sense of what this place was and like a more accurate version of the history of the hotel than you probably would have gotten if the documentary had been made like even a year ago I thought that was a really good choice yeah I totally agree and I feel like the context is so important with yeah. the story of this hotel and also like what happened to Elisa Lamb and um I didn't realize that Skid Row has existed essentially the way that it is for almost a hundred years and yeah, I, don't think I knew it had been like that I mean it was definitely always there that as far as I can remember but I don't think I realized that it had been I thought that it was something that happened after the Reagan administration yeah like when they closed mental hospitals yeah. and yeah um I was pretty surprised to see how far back it went and um because there was a, a train station th that was like on the same block as this big hotel that was built in the 1920s to be um, like a traveler's hotel and kind of um, like the lobby's really glamorous and yeah. it's still, it's very, it's very beautiful. Like, and I've never been inside, but it looks, yeah. Like it looks kind of, it looks beautiful. Yeah. It definitely adds to the haunted sort of feeling of it. Yeah, the fact that it's so glamorous, but so much like horror happens there and that it looks so inviting and beautiful on the ground floor. And then when you go upstairs, like if you go, they were saying that if you went to the top floor, I mean, the, I think one of the people they interviewed was saying that he didn't even go up above like whatever, a certain floor, floor or something just like all there. bad up there which is so scary. <laughs> it's really scary. I just read um, J.G. Ballard's book, High Rise, uh, a couple oh, really? of months ago. Yeah, which is That's really good. good. And did you see the, I want to see the movie. I did. I watched the movie after I read the book. And mm -hmm. I also watched Cronenberg's first movie, which I can't remember, Rabid, um, which also takes place in a high rise and came out the same year as the book. So th those are more about well, at least like the Ballard one is more about class and like the higher up you go, the more like, like the uh, richest people are in the penthouse at the top. And this was sort of like the higher up you go, the more wild it becomes and yeah. and it's sort of um, something that they talked about that I didn't realize about Skid Row is that when people get out of jail or get released from like mental hospital or they just like, they get dumped in Skid Row. And this historian, what's that? Yeah, that they take them there. Yeah, and just like, they're like, good luck. Yeah. It's so sad. It's Ugh, so sad. This city um, is so fucked up. Like Chicago was, I mean, every city in the United States is bad in like its own special way. Yeah. <laughs> but man, LA is just so divided and it, it's, it's, re it's really awful um, to just see how, how many people are 
completely not cared for or considered or thought about by by the city mm-hmm. and this building you know it it was created with a certain intention and after the depression it became like long-term housing for people and you just do get the sense of this like compounding misery in the hotel and like the surrounding area and it's this place that like people are totally trapped in and yeah I think that's what's so scary about her story too is that like she was she's trapped there forever you know yeah um I think that part of the hotel's part of what captured everyone's imagination when they saw the video and then learned about the hotel was there's this idea that this hotel is haunted or there's something evil, you know, lurking somewhere in the hotel or beneath the hotel. It feels like something from a movie or a TV show. And I think it was, it is, it's like said that it was the inspiration for the seat, the hotel season of American horror story. Yeah. I think it's the same Um, lobby. Yeah. Um, but the thing is the, what have you watched that season? Yeah. I love it. It's my favorite season. It's so good. Well, that and Coven are my favorite. Yeah. Me too. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So much. We should. Yeah. We should. we should, but just that the, the thing is that like, there's no ghost or like, there's no like supernatural presence. It's like, it's poverty and like bigotry and yeah. Yeah. That's what's making it. That's the evil force that makes this place so bad. It's, it's just social injustice. It's not anything. It's not anything supernatural. It's, it's humans. Yeah. And like the lingering effect of, of that, um, of the, all the bad things that people do or have happened to them. And it is like concentrated bad energy. (laughs) Like, I think, I, I, I don't know, there's a woman in the documentary who says something like, when you go to a place where lots and lots of bad things have happened, like it just feels different like there's something that feels different just like when you go to a place where there's good feelings like if there's good luck there's bad luck I don't know that's kind of what I was thinking watching it like especially when sweet um sweet morbid comes in and he's like like, I got sucked into that like the hotel got me like yeah in like in his own way yeah and it's like he's being hyperbolic but it is also like does that yeah he's (laughs) he's definitely morbid as a drama queen we can all admit like for sure (laughs) he's in it for the theater that is he's quite a theatrical person so we should explain who morbid is yeah morbid was my favorite part and i i felt so bad for him and this was i mean i got really actually kind of angry watching this part of the documentary too yeah it was very sad it was so i think in the third episode is where like we meet morbid yeah at the very at the end they're teasing up the fourth (laughs) okay so so um elisa lamb is you know, all of these web sleuths after the release of this video comes out, which is like this haunting and terrifying video that like captures the imagination of all of these people on the internet who wanted to find out what happened to this woman, this poor woman. Um, they discover that there's a video on YouTube made by a death metal artist named Morbid and from Mexico, right? He's from Mexico, I believe, and he has some kind of song about how he killed someone and the music video is from his point of view as he chases this blonde woman through the woods, a woman who looks nothing like Elisa Lamb in a setting that couldn't be farther away from the Cecil Hotel, but they also realize that this he what he stayed at the hotel and in their minds they believe that he was there when she was killed for some reason i don't know what that reason is that is where they were very bad sleuths 
not great sleuths. I've got to say these internet sleuths. They didn't have the A-team on on, on the Elisa Lamb case. I I don't think so. I think the A-team was doing like, um, the Golden State Killer or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I don't know who the Lisa Lambsloos were. They weren't doing a good job because they, like, they're, they were completely, when I saw Morbid and his music videos, I think I saw the same thing you saw, which was an artist. Yeah. Morbid <laughs> was creating a character and performing it and fearlessly putting himself on the internet, even though, I mean, a younger version of me would have probably been like very dismissive of someone like Morbid. I think I think it's very brave to be Morbid. For sure. And I mean, his like artistic vision was very clearly articulated too. He's like, this is the manifestation of my subconscious. Like yeah. I am in touch with my shadow self. This <laughs> I mean, yeah, like he's bringing Jung into this. I mean, he's thought about it and God bless him. I mean, not that the death metal guys don't sometimes, you know, go bad in the same way. I mean, Marilyn Manson is a perfect example. That this is my, yes, but I think Marilyn Manson was bad in the way that like lots of powerful male artists are bad. I don't think it was because he was like super goth. Mm, mm, no, no. And like when, when they talked to Morbid, there was like a real sensitivity to him that I genuinely found like heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I was, I got the sense watching him that like, this is probably the nicest before they even talked to him just in his videos. I thought this is probably the nicest, most sensitive person in this entire documentary. Who's like participating in it. Like, I think he's much more sensitive than the sleuths who I think were judgmental. Definitely judgmental got in a frenzied state of mind. Uh, there's like a real righteousness to Mm. that that is so toxic because it came up that he was at the Cecil hotel a year before Elisa Lamb disappeared. And he was like, document he's like he's in Mexico he's like I've got my passport stamps and I've got videos and I was recording and I've got contracts for the he's like I I don't know how this happened to me but people you know yeah they saw they were already I think that they already were in a place where they weren't going to I don't think they wanted to believe reality. I think that they like the idea, like the Teresa, uh, I keep calling her Teresa and I'm so sorry about that. The Elisa Lamb video is very frightening and it seems like something supernatural is happening kind of because she pushes all these buttons and the door doesn't close and she seems like she's talking to someone who isn't there. And then that combined with the history of the hotel where, she where you know all of it feels like it's got some like demonic energy or whatever I feel like they were in this operating in this place where they they didn't really see reality they were they were in like a movie or something and so this perfect villain showed up who like looks really scary and is wearing like scary makeup and has like dyed hair and is singing these freaky songs about killing women I think and um they were just like oh that's it like it has to be this yeah they weren't um they weren't seeing reality because I feel like if you really think about you watch that video and it's like okay there could be supernatural forces pursuing her the LAPD and the hotel could have edited the video to cut out any possible killer or she could be having some sort of like psychotic situation and this I mean realistically like to be alone in a city and to have like a a breakdown like that and nobody can help you and especially considering where she ended up it's so scary and so like (laughs) there you know you can't point to some big conspiracy and 
Yeah. I mean, I think that that conspiracy people like depend on conspiracy theories because it's comforting to them to imagine that there's like a reason for things to exist and not it's more terrifying for them to think that everyone is just like kind of out of control and like everything this is all really happening <laughs> um and I the idea that there was a conspiracy theory of, of like the LAPD was trying to cover up someone murdering her or that the hotel was. Um, I mean, I just think that the, the history that the hotel had and the amount of death that happened in the hotel and how many times that hotel manager, who I actually felt sorry for. I felt sorry for her too. I mean, that just seems like the worst job in the world, but the amount of times that she saw death and these things happen, I just don't understand why this one time the hotel would decide to cover it up when there have been many death overdoses and murders and horrible things happening there. Suicides and everything else. Yeah. And she, uh, so she was the manager from 2007 to 2017. And she said she estimated um, she saw 80 people die. I mean, or like how to deal with 80 dead bodies, which you know that that she's underestimating. Yeah. I mean, you either have an exact number or you're <laughs> moving it one way or the other, you know? Yeah. I mean, even if it was one, you would have like PTSD if that happened at your job. I mean, it's just so. Yeah. And she's not even like an EMT or like a person trained in it. She's a hotel manager. I mean, she's not, this is just not something she probably had any training for. No, she said that she had never managed a hotel before and that yeah. she treated it like a corporate job. So she, you know, they, they didn't talk about like her work background, but I definitely was very curious about it. Mm -hmm. And I figured like whoever was the company that owned the hotel at that time they're like oh we just put her there see how long she lasts yeah that's what it felt like too yeah she's like fuck you last 10 years like the worst like the worst toughest harshest conditions you could put a hotel manager in I did feel bad for her me too um yeah and but she seemed like very competent to me and I do you think there was something, I don't know, was it immoral when they decided to do the stay on main renovation and try to market it as a, I don't know, maybe a safer place to stay? Or was that just like a normal thing to do? Like, should this hotel even be open? Like how, what, what is, I don't even know how that works ethically. I don't know either, because I feel like there is a thing of like, oh, like, raise it and start fresh but there are so many people who have lived there for so long and like it has this certain status that they can't close it down mm -hmm. but I don't know when they talk at the end about it turning into luxury hotel rooms low-income housing with like a pool on the roof and all of that stuff I I just feel like you can't gentrify away the problems of downtown Los Angeles and it for every you know cute looking boutique hotel or restaurant or whatever it's the the issues of that area go beyond whatever the Cecil Hotel is going mm -hmm. to do when I yeah. think about that place being like luxury apartments or whatever it it does kind of like make my stomach lurch a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, did you stay there? I I mean, no. And like they also that it's going to be partially luxury hotel and partially low income housing. I mean, that really is like the, the book you read, like mm -hmm. that, you know, you're going to have these two totally separate classes try to coexist in one building and there are going to be aspects of the building that people who live there can't go to I assume I mean I, I just the whole thing is so disgusting and and it brings up the same question that they had with the stay on main like it's going to have what different doors different 
elevators, different everything. But they didn't, they had the same elevator. They did. I'm sure. I wonder if they would, if that's, I feel like they would have to like did a big hotel there, but, um, I, I don't think that it's ethical to bring a bunch of unwitting people into a powder keg of a situation to try to, um, you know, make more money off of what I'm sure was not a very profitable thing. Mm -hmm. And I felt bad for the people who, I felt bad for the people who stayed there. Yeah, I did too. Um, the stay on Maine really does feel like a horror movie idea. Like you Definitely. go to stay at this place and don't know what is happening. Like you don't know the reality of the place that you're staying in. It kind of reminded me of um, like poltergeist mm -hmm. <laughs> where like they don't know that it's on like a burial ground. I mean, yeah, that is that is a burial ground for sure. Okay, the couple, the Dutch couple or whatever, oh when they introduced them at the beginning, I was like, I know where this is going, and I, I, I hate this. I hate it too. But I thought that they like, as far as good television is concerned, I thought they did an amazing job parsing that out. Yeah. So by the, you know. When you I mean, learn the fate of Elisa Lamb, ugh, it is I one mean, of the worst things of all time. One of the 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 couple, wait, which is the whole thing? The 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 whole thing. Her being in the water tower, the people drinking the water from the water tower. It's I mean, the worst thing of all time. One of them. I was I sitting mean, there watching it again good. and it made me nauseous. They were on vacation. They thought, oh, this will be a cheap hotel. Or this is part of a hotel package that they bought. So there were partners, there were people involved with this. And they thought this will be a good way for us to go see LA. And then they go there. I mean, I feel like, did they sue? at least get their money back. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what I would have done. That would have been, I, I, I don't know that I would have had the presence of mind to be interviewed on TV and be like, yeah, the water tasted funny. I would be, in, I would still be in like some sort of catatonic state. Well, I was going to say like therapy or something. Like I would not be, okay if I drank the water no they drank it they drank it they showered in it they brushed their teeth with it <sighs> showering oh the shower <laughs> but the drinking for me is the ultimate betrayal first of okay. all okay uh, I, I I don't think you should drink tap water in a hotel I don't know what I think about it. I do as a make a point of drinking tap water in my home. And you yes, I do that as well, but and maybe it's like the lingering knowledge of this Elisa Lamb story. But anytime I mean I'm just going to I'm going to drink water out of a bottle. I don't I'm think gonna, I have ever unless I've been exceptionally hungover I may have. Drink tap water in a hotel. Yeah. I can see that happening. I don't know. I do feel a little the story, it's just going to linger with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh my God. I know. And then it was coming out brown. <gasps> and they showed that they like did a dramatic reenactment of the water, the color of the water. No. Oh my God. <laughs> disgusting. It's so disgusting. It's so terrible. It's so sad. Um, it's horrible. Uh, you found, you texted me something true also that is very horrific. The Dorothy Jean Purcell case. In 1944, 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell checked into the hotel with her 38-year-old boyfriend, Ben Levine. Already- Wait, how old was she again? 19. And he's 38. Yes. According to reports, Dorothy was unaware she was pregnant. Mm. And one evening when she was, went to the toilet, she gave birth to a baby boy. Um, there was an entire TV series called, I didn't know I was pregnant. It was a reality show. Yeah. I don't. 
to me that's like the type of reality show title that would be like on daria (laughs) um but it really happened okay believing her baby was dead this is when it gets extremely upsetting so trigger warning to our listeners believing her baby was dead dorothy then threw the newborn out of the window she was arrested for murder and at her trial was found guilty by reason of insanity that does sound gu- say guilty not not guilty usually it's not guilty by reason of insanity this is guilty by reason of insanity i don't know what that means but that's what i'm reading wow yeah so that's not the only bad thing that's ever happened obviously we're here talking about the most famous thing in recent memory allegedly uh elizabeth short also known as a black dahlia stayed there that i did a little of my own sleuthing Ooh, we got a we got a web sleuth here on the experts i don't actually think that was true because then I Googled it and then I found an article on screen rant. <laughs> so I don't really know, like, I don't know where to find this type of information, but the connection is really thin. Apparently there was a uh, police officer who after the Black Dahlia, like in during the Black Dahlia's case gave a statement just saying that she saw a young woman in the area um, who had been at the bar at the Cecil Hotel and was going to meet her parents. And that's all we know, but that's sort of- hmm? That could have been anybody. Could have been anybody, but that kind of got turned into Elizabeth Short somehow. Hmm. Um, Also, but- and Elizabeth Shorts was at the Biltmore Hotel, definitely, which was in the area. She's downtown. She's she probably had been there. She like was around. Yeah, she's hanging out, doing whatever. She was having fun. I think she had a fun life before she died. I hope so. Me too. Do you think that it was that doctor, the Hodels? not I don't know like I read that guy's book I it really seemed like a bit of a stretch to me honestly like one of the bad things about this guy is that he um was friends with Man Ray the artist like that it's another that's another morbid like what are you talking about Man Ray is like a world-renowned artist this I, and I just, I don't know. I felt like it was, mm, I don't know. And that like the placing of her body was his like artistic response to a Man Ray photograph that he had taken. Um, it does like, I think the the internet obviously has made it so much easier for people who want to make these big leaps to like connect to each other and like the damage is so astronomically bad like morbid is a good example of it there's more but the impulse has always been in us to point the finger at somebody you know yeah I don't know I mean I feel like if our true crime obsession has taught us anything it's that like the person who's doing the worst things is usually like the quiet neighbor who kept to himself. Like that's who it always turns out to be. It's usually like the evil serial killers are like usually middle-aged white guys who like keep up appearances fairly well and blend in. It's not the guy who's like painting his face white with like black diamonds for eyes and like spitting blood out of his mouth on stage like that's not the guy like yeah that's someone embracing their subconscious (laughs) if you embrace your shadow self at to that level you're almost incapable of actually being bad (laughs) yeah like he's really doing the work we should all be we should all be spitting blood out on stage fake blood and doing death metal and then we'd have peace on earth god respect 
Um, I do feel like we should mention that Richard Ramirez did stay at the hotel. I know. We were talking about him earlier. I sort of felt like that was um, smart timing on Netflix's part because they had this like big Richard Ramirez four-part documentary and then immediately after had this, which sort of, remember Richard Ramirez? It has a little thread. Yeah. LA, right? (laughs) Yeah. Richard Ramirez is from here. The thing about him coming home and like taking off his bloody clothes and then walking upstairs to his room naked, covered in blood after he'd killed somebody was shocking. Terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a place where like, it's just completely, um, I guess like hedonistic and just totally off the charts. Like there is no law there. Yeah. It's like, um, it's the Chaz. I mean, is it, is that what Chaz will inevitably become? Is that why we can't, we have to have, I don't know, a state? I get, I, yeah, because that woman said that it's like the largest, that Skid Row is the largest open air drug market in North America or something. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that is, it, it's Hamsterdam to a certain extent. It's like, yeah. here's, it's just, it's just this big lawless area mm-hmm. where, and they talked about how women just go missing there all the time. They have no yeah. idea what happens to them. Yeah, that is all frightening. And uh, the juxtaposition of tourism with that like humanitarian crisis that we have in the city Mm -hmm. is also really um, crazy. There's a shot towards the end. They reused a lot of footage, I thought, throughout this documentary. They like, I thought they could have like gone out and shot a little bit more because you were seeing like this, like the home sweet home sign over and over again or whatever. But there's a shot of like, some block where you see like an encampment and one of the um like unhoused people walks out of frame and there's like a tourist like what like oh where am I like yes I I thought that that was pretty striking I thought it was striking too I also there was something I saw in this that I noticed um I saw in real life um I've been going on like drives during quarantine. Like that's my new hobby is like, I just go for a drive for an hour and nice. yeah. Um, I went and drove like all the way through the Valley and then like came out in Santa Monica. And when I was going up near the, like in West or like actually was um like right where like Brentwood is about to become Westwood sort of um, like near the, like whatever anyway um there was this mini it's not skid row it's like a mini skid row it was like a a large encampment of um like unhoused people living in tents which is like very jarring when you see it when you're leaving Brentwood which is like one of the richest like areas in the country yeah um and they all had this like very uniform and clean new looking American flag like placed on their tents. There were like these rows of tents and they all had the same American flag on it. Like this, it was like a large flag. And I saw that in the footage of this too. Like one of the people uh, downtown had it on their tent. And I just, I don't know what is, I want to know about those flags, like where, who's giving those out or like, why are they doing that? Do you think maybe like the tents that are being donated have those on them? Oh yeah. Maybe it's on the tent. Maybe it's like a brand thing. I have no idea. Or like a, or it's because it's from the government or something. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) Is the government helping people to that degree? I remember I, um, maybe this was like a year and a half ago, uh, I was downtown and there, I don't remember where I was now, but there was like a restaurant I was going to and there was like a huge art space. And it is like 
it's, you know, it's downtown. So you drive past people in tents and all this, so you get to the place. And then the um, art installation inside was about the homeless crisis. And it was like a sea of tents. And it felt, I, I mean, maybe that's like a very powerful thing. And maybe people don't pay attention when they're like getting driven into whatever place and then they they are being confronted by it and they have to think about it but it just seemed so crazy to me like it felt like a yeah no shit like what yeah. why I don't know like bad it, taste. it very bad taste. Yeah. yeah I mean I feel like people um in LA want to comment or make something about the problem without actually sacrificing anything for it I mean that's probably not an LA thing but um, it's kind of I don't know that sounds like something from American Psycho <laughs> yeah exactly um <laughs> Like, am I just, have I grown humorless? Like, am I? Well, I don't think you should think that's funny. I mean, I do, there is something that is probably trying to be a little funny about that, of like kind of ironic. Yeah, that's, that was how it felt. And because if it yeah, was supposed to be super serious, they would never have done that because that would have been so like, that would have been over the top. I don't know, the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, tacky, tacky, tacky. 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 <laughs> well, there's like no shortage of tacky art in Los Angeles. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, what you were saying about like, who do, you know, like who's going to be the bad guy or, you know, where to look for the bad guys. Have you seen this Japanese movie called Creepy? Mm -mm. I think that you might like it. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. It's about okay. a um, detective or he used to be a detective. Now he's a teacher. So he gets to like tell people about his like blaze of glory as a serial killer detective. Okay. He and his wife move into a new neighborhood and the wife is like sweet and lonely and she's going around trying to make friends with everybody. Everyone is very unfriendly. There's a guy in the neighborhood who is objectively creepy <laughs> like as soon as he comes on screen you're like oh my god that guy's so creepy <laughs> so she like comes home she has this like weird interaction with him and she tells her husband she's like our neighbor is really creepy I I don't I don't like him <laughs> and uh and the husband is like well statistically people who like people who are bad are uh, going to try to like fit into society like they're going to be friendly they're going to like try to be your friend or whatever so if he's like openly creepy he's probably fine and she's like oh okay <laughs> and things take a turn <laughs> he really was creepy he was he's creepy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I thought it was good and I I I, I want to recommend it to you Aggie <laughs> I'll watch it. I always want to watch a new horror movie. Yeah, it's good. It gets crazy well, too. It goes off the rails in a very fun way. Okay. Quote well, unquote fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm goth and fearless. So you are. Um, yeah. So what about, okay, can we talk about one more thing? What about that guy from um, Austria who was like a poet journalist? who came to LA and uh, to like report on sex workers and got to do like ride arounds with cops. Do you remember this? Wait, was this in the movie? Yeah, I had never heard of him before. So he was um, an Austrian criminal. He was arrested and jailed and then rehabilitated. And while he was in jail, like he became a poet and he was like doing journalism and he was like lifted up by the like literati of the time it was like the early 90s so then he went someplace else and oh yes, like yes a spate of sex worker murders and then he came to LA and he's like hey I'm a journalist and I write about sex work and cops like had him do a ride-along he was staying at the Cecil hotel and then he was a serial killer 
I do, yes, I do. I, I, when you first brought it up, I thought that he was like a talking head who like came to cover it. I do okay. remember that story. I heard about him on like a podcast or something. So I'd heard that before. Um, and his thing was that he was completely like um, hiding in plain sight because he was, um, he was presenting as someone who was reformed and was now fighting against this evil thing. Yeah. Um, but he was still really bad and fucking evil. Yeah. Like a, like a murderer. A, a serial killer. Yeah. yeah. So at least two serial killers have lived in the, in the Cecil hotel. I wouldn't stay there. I would not stay there. And I also wouldn't go like urban exploring and like poke around and see what I could find. I wouldn't do that either. Um, You wouldn't like go into the lobby? I honestly, I don't know if I'd even step into the lobby. You think the evil might rub off on you? I think I have bad luck anyway. Like I'm, I feel like a person like, I mean, I ha- I've had good luck in my life and I'm like a privileged person, but it's like, if there's an opportunity to like trip over something or like for a bird to shit on me or like this, like, I just feel like I'm like a magnet for like sort of chaos. And I just don't need to invite that shit into my life. No, you're right. Don't go in there. No. Don't go in. I'm not going to do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I've been, you know, I've seen the movie. I've driven by it. Like I know where it is. I just, I've never been inside. Yeah, no, me neither. It does. um, It is a very creepy landmark when you drive past. It's like, that is the hotel. And it has, it just does have sort of like bad vibes. A hundred percent. I, I'm, I can't imagine anybody wanting to buy it, remodel it, live in it, work there, work across the street. I'm sorry. It's like, you're going to buy this fucking thing and turn it into luxury, a luxury hotel with a waiting pool on the roof. Like, I'm sorry, but you have like, that is just. That's when I really feel sorry for men is when I see this kind of thing happening because they don't, I mean, I'm just assuming that it's a man who's doing this, that it's a white man who's doing this. I I could be wrong, but my gut says white man, group of white men. And they are so focused on what they consider to be progress, which they just mean like, knocking things down and building them up again over and over and over again to like increase wealth that's their fucking obsession they're like they can't stop doing it and they will do it to their detriment and they will destroy their lives and the planet and everyone around them in order to achieve these ridiculous goals that are completely meaningless because they think that the accumulation of wealth is like the greatest possible human pursuit and that's just and there's something I know people get really angry about it but for me I like feel like I I don't know how to I don't know how to stop it (laughs) and I just I'm like you're these people they're like sharks they won't stop you cannot talk them out of it you can't explain to them why it's a bad idea you can make every you can make every documentary every movie every piece of art every conversation like you you can't, you can't stop it. Nope. You can't stop progress, Aggie. You can't. <laughs> and um, I guess that's progress. I guess. I, guess. I don't know. Not to me. Um, can we talk about a couple of the really bizarre coincidences in her story? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. The weirdest thing for me was um, after she was discovered, they gave tuberculosis tests to like they were giving them out to people in, in the hotel and in the neighborhood. And the name of the test was Lamb Elisa, which yeah. is like an old existing TB test. And I didn't quite understand what that was, but I can, I admit I found it very bizarre. Um, well, this was sort of when I thought, oh my God, like this is 
because this story I did sort of remember. I, I didn't remember the name of the test, but I did remember that there was this super tuberculosis, this like very dangerous form of tuberculosis that was an out a TB outbreak on Skid Row. Um, and it it was in, impacting all of these people that were living right around that area and people in the hotel probably would have been exposed to it. Um, another reason that finding out that you're drinking tap water with a human body in it is incredibly disturbing. Um, and just another indicator that the problem again is like, why is there a fucking tuberculosis outbreak amongst our city's poor like we're in fucking 1700s France like why are we living like this like this is in this happened in like it happened at the time it was like what 2013 or 14 yeah, 13 I mean this is it's completely outrageous that there are outbreaks like that happening. I mean, obviously we're like, this might seem out of touch because we are like literally in a pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, the city is making decisions like sweeping the streets of encampments because, you know, people don't want to look at that. And meanwhile, you know, people people need to shelter in place, even if that is because the city doesn't provide any other housing. So it, it's all just so completely sick. They don't even want to do a census to count the people in Skid Row. You, yeah, really? Yeah, I was reading about that uh, maybe like a month ago. Oh, and then all God. of uh, one of the decisions that led like to the um, contribution of Skid Row being what it is, is that all like emergency services, they didn't want people congregating to these other areas. So all like shelters and food pantries, whatever, they're all in that area. So, oh my God, people just get so trapped. Like that is, I mean, yeah, that's the haunted ground. The, exactly. The Cecil's just like a place to point to. In this well, it's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Um, the the Cecil, yeah, exactly. Like it's not um, it's not that the hotel has a demon in it. <laughs> like we have a demon in us. Yeah, and, we're the demons. And morbid is the only person who's showing us our demons, but we don't want to look we tamp them down and they come out in these horrible ways. Um, the other thing was that last bookstore. That was so terrifying. That is fucking weird. I mean, it's, <laughs> how can you not? It's like, I, we say these things like, okay, like there's no, nothing supernatural here, but then I mean. Uh, and a, a Lama Lisa TB test and that lap bookstore thing. I mean, too much. Yeah, pretty fucking weird. I mean, it's it's just slightly too much. It's too much. Okay, so the last bookstore, or do you want to explain this? Yeah, so um, the website that like the, whatever the IP, of the website is registered to is this, um, there's a zip code that when you put it into Google Maps directs people to the cemetery where Elisa Lam is interred. Yes, and the last she book for- right before she died. Yeah, she went there the day that she died and the only suspects that they ever had for like any other people she interacted with were employees of the last bookstore who helped her carry some of her books back to the hotel. Very creepy. I mean, it's too creepy. Well, do you have any final thoughts on um, Elisa Lam and the Cecil? No, I, I, I had one, but it's like, I don't feel like I know enough to talk about it, but I, I just will say that I don't, I always get this hotel confused with another hotel in LA called the Alexandria, which when I was growing up was also considered to be like the most haunted hotel in LA. 
I don't know enough about it. The only thing I know about it is that it's super haunted. It's close to these other hotels, the Biltmore, the Cecil, all this stuff. It's in the same area. And also that there used to be this like weird restaurant in it that was like kind of cool. And the whole gimmick was that it was like Irish and Jewish and they had matzo balls that were covered in bacon. And I went to it one time, but I did not eat those matzo balls. It was called the Gora Bowls. It was called the what? The Gora Bowls. The Gora Bowls. Yeah. And I think it was in the Alexander Hotel, but that's... So I, I was sort of like trying to Google it, like stealth Google this while we were talking, but it's just going to be too much. But I think that, I think that the down, like a sort of rundown spooky downtown LA hotel um, is like almost like an LA trope. Like, I think there are other, like the Alexandria is another one. I wouldn't be surprised if there were more. Yeah. Um... Our, our mutual friend, Ben Cedar, uh, used to live in MacArthur Park near a big old hotel. And he he had written an essay and like went in and took all these photos and like went to the library downtown and found out all about its history and everything. Ben, if you're listening, I hope you published your- Oh, I want to, I would love to read it. I think I have it in my email, forward it to you. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot yeah. of spooky stuff here. It's a, a lot of spooky stuff. LA is unquestionably haunted in one yes. way or another. Well, it's just a very like desperate and sad place. I, um, I was on a hike the other day and I told my sister this and I'm going to tell you this. Okay. Because I think about it every time I see the skyline in Los Angeles. You and I were watching something at my apartment like 15 years ago or whatever. Okay. And it was like a documentary or a reality show or something. And the opening was the LA skyline. And you went, uh oh. And then you started <laughs> to giggle. <laughs> and every time I see it, I hear your voice in my head from long ago saying, uh-oh. Just because I saw the LA skyline? Yeah. Cause it's like, oh, we we didn't know like what it was about that we were watching. It's like, oh, this is now like a very specific set of variables has been presented. Okay. <laughs> well. <laughs> like nothing good happens here. <laughs> nothing good, really, not really. Like the best thing that can happen here is like, I don't know. You make a lot, you make some money, you get to create something, you make yeah. some, you get that politically incorrect job. Yeah. You get, or don't get hired on politically incorrect or real time, <laughs> whatever. Well, um, I just sent you this curbed article that I found that was just like a fun little list during, during this thing, this recording, that was just like a list of um, like haunted things that are in LA I love so we can get to the bottom of it well well guys I think that this has been another successful episode of the experts I think so too I think that we really proved our expertise today on the documentary that we watched yeah we watched it we became experts by watching it as did you yeah. Um, and I hope that you found this uh, like and entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. I wish they could see us. Yeah, you know me. No one. Open up your mouth, stick out your tongue. We're gonna trust the expert. Trust the expert.